Uh, normally, if uh, you catch us on a normal Rec Road Sunday, we're going through a book of the Bible. And the, the vast majority of our teaching, we believe, is going through books of the Bible because we never want this to be about our ideas or thoughts or clever reasoning. We'd rather just let God speak from his own word, and that way we can't avoid anything awkward or uncomfortable. Uh, but every now and then, there's, there are gaps, there are breaks in our schedule. We, we, we've hit a two-week gap or break, and... Uh, I wasn't really looking forward to it, and normally I really am. Normally I'm like, this is an excellent opportunity to talk about this thing. Let's go for it. And um, I just didn't really want to this, this time around. I've been trying to figure out a lot of my own journey and story in the last month and have uh, just decided to speak on something that God is still in the process of doing in my heart. And so please don't think of me today as, as an expert, but a fellow traveler on the journey in figuring out what it means to be both strong and weak at the same time. And so I'm going to talk about that we are strong and we are weak at the same time with a focus this week a lot more on weakness and a focus next week a lot more on strength. And uh, the Christian life is a life where we are holding in tension things that to us seem a little bit contradictory or opposites, but in the magnificent wisdom and mystery of God, He holds together. We, we uh, know our prayers are heard, but not always answered in the way that we want. We, we believe in the power of healing, yet not all people are healed at, at all times. Working on some of the unbelief, a strong mix of faith in our hearts, and yet we are always working on some of the unbelief that is also in our hearts. We are, we are told to rejoice and be joyful, but, but in our suffering, in our challenges. We, we, we're, we're living in a kingdom of God that is now. Jesus came and proclaimed the kingdom of God is now. It's Jesus entering the scene, and, and yet the kingdom of God is also not yet. It's, it's still to come. When Jesus returns again, there is a now and not yet that you and I live in. These are strange paradoxes, strange tensions. The Christian life, uh, maturity looks like not leaning there or not leaning here, but holding these things in tension and trusting the Lord of all of these things. And so I want to talk about the fact that we are both strong and weak at the, at the same time. And this is our everyday reality. Every single day you will experience moments of supernatural strength and you will be reminded of your limitations or your frailties just as one human being. You will be reminded of both things on the daily. You are the point when these things collide, both supernatural strength and very natural limitations. You're the point of that collision. You're the site, the epicenter of that struggle. You're the edge of the paradox. And this Knowing this, knowing that we are both strong and weak can be both weirdly confusing and clarifying at the same time. Knowing that we are both strong in God but weak in ourselves can be confusing. It can be a little bit confusing because you can find yourself stumbling in awkward moments when you thought you had something. You thought you had understood something, but then you're like, oh, there's a whole new level that I hadn't thought of. Or perhaps you thought, hey, I've got this thing down now, only to slip up. There are these confusing minutes where you're like, I thought I was strong. Oh, I didn't realize I was still weak or still on the journey of learning and growing and discovering. 
Yet it also can be really enlightening to know that I am both strong and weak at the same time, because it, it means that anytime I do stumble, anytime I do fall, anytime I do struggle in this world, that, that I know why. It's because I'm both strong and weak. It's because God's not done with me yet, but He's still busy working in me. And God's not done with this world. He's still restoring the brokenness. And so being both strong and weak can feel sometimes confusing. Like, I thought I had it. Oh, I don't have it. But it can also be really clarifying, really enlightening. It's like, oh, Lord, I see your greater story. I see your greater narrative. I see everything that I've, I'm caught up in in the world and in my own heart. And perhaps for you this morning, as we're talking about being strong and weak, and particularly about how do we embrace our weakness, this might not just be a bit of a strange paradox, it might be an uncomfortable paradox as well. Perhaps, depending on who you are, depending on the expression of Christianity you grew up in, perhaps depending on your family environment or even just cultural norms, you might be uncomfortable with the idea of weakness. You, you might have lived maybe in a home or in a cultural surrounding where weakness was prohibited. It, what, you were not allowed to show weakness. Or perhaps it wasn't directly prohibited, but it just was never demonstrated. And so ideas like transparency or vulnerability in theory sound good, but you've just never seen that worked out in people's lives. And so that it's theoretical, not practically worked out for you. So it, it, this can feel like an uncomfortable paradox. And uh, if that is you, I want you to lean into two people. I want you to lean into Jesus, and I want you to lean into the Apostle Paul this morning. If you're someone who's like, hey, I struggle with acknowledging and working out my weakness, these two people will be helpful for you. Firstly, it being both strong and weak, but embracing the weaknesses that we have will actually give you a fuller experience of Jesus. It will help you to identify with Jesus in a way that would have been more difficult before. That there are parts of his being and parts of how God chose to reveal himself to us that speaks not just into our weakness, but speaks into his sympathy, his empathy, his compassion towards us. When we experience Jesus, we can't just experience the strong parts or the impressive parts, the things about him we like. We know this. We talk about this in record all the time. You need to embrace the fullness of Jesus. But that means, friends, that you're embracing the fullness of the Son of Man. You are embracing the one who chose to reveal himself, who, who chose to write the story, but then enter into his story in a very surprising, subversive, very unique way. He chose the foolish things to, to shame the wise. For example, he chose a farm manger, a stolen donkey, and a borrowed tomb in his life. He chose to be born into a family struck and stuck in poverty and to an ethnic people subjected to not just one oppressor, but oppressor after oppressor after oppressor. He chose to experience the temptations of humanity and yet not falter. He chose to give himself so entirely to people that he became exhausted and weary often 
And that meant that often he had to withdraw to the secret place, to the hiding place, to be with his father because he grew weary. Why? Because we know the most holy people in the world are introverts. Just saying. Jesus was one. No, he was very clearly ambiverted. He was very clearly a weird mix, eh? Jesus knew what it was like to be sorrowful and suffering. In fact, it was prophesied that he would be. Jesus knows what it's like to feel angry and to feel frustrated when people don't get it, or when he comes against sin or hypocrisy or unbelief. He knew the grief and even chose to enter into the grief of lost loved ones even before he would heal and resurrect them. He first chose to enter into their grief. He chose to lament loudly about the brokenness of the people and the communities that he was in. He was scorned, he was rejected, he was persecuted, he was even murdered. Jesus knows what weakness looks like because he was weaker, he became weaker than any of us ever will be. Jesus knows what weakness looks like and you will experience more of him if you don't run away from the idea of weakness. We read about this in Hebrews. In Hebrews 4, we read this, verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, these are the important things, let us then with confidence, because he knows our weaknesses, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. You hear that the fact that he is able to not just know, but sympathize with our weaknesses allows us to draw near, to receive mercy, and to find grace. Which means if you run from your weakness, and if you run from the God who is embracing and sympathizing with your weakness, you will be running away from the mercy and the grace and the closeness that you will find in Jesus if you will hand over to him your weaknesses. But when I think about weakness, I think about Jesus and the person of Jesus, but I also think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was the superhero of the New Testament with the mega church story, the testimony that just saves thousands in a crowd instantly, right? The, the, the guy who persecute, was a persecuting murderer who turned into uh, this amazing church planter. The Apostle Paul was an incredibly impressive guy. But this amazingly impressive guy wrote a book called Two Corinthians. And in Two Corinthians, the charge is not Look at Paul, he's so amazing, we can't be like him. The charge was, Paul, you are so weak, so unskilled, so insignificant, we don't want you to be our apostle. There are guys much more gifted than you, guys much better than you at what you're doing. Right? It's weird to think that this amazing church planter, preacher, guy who's given his life to God, guy who wrote more of the New Testament than any other author, hey, Nokbonga, 13 books of the Bible, you taught me that on, on Wednesday, but that this guy would be called weak, insignificant, unskilled, and he would be disregarded. Yet, he wrote 2 Corinthians. 
And as we read a couple of sections here, you need to know the big story. The Second Corinthians, Paul is responding to a group of leaders who are intentionally trying to undermine his authority in the church. And they're trying to do that primarily by saying, Paul, you're weak. Paul, you're unimpressive. Paul, you're not worthy of recognition. You're definitely not someone worth following. That's what these guys, the guys that Paul calls the super apostles, that's what these guys are saying about Paul. And you know how Paul counters this argument in an incredibly strange and paradoxical way. Why? Because he's both strong and weak at the same time. Paul's counter to the charge that he's weak, his, his combative stance against them is, is not, no, no, I'm better than you think I am. No, no, Jesus has given me more than you uh, re have realized yet. Paul says, you're wrong because I'm even weaker than you think I am. Paul was not boasting in his strength. He was boasting in his weakness. Paul's arguments are strange because he agrees with them. In fact, Paul says that the accusations of weakness against him are so true that they're in fact understated. That these super apostles should have gone harder. They don't actually even realize how weak Paul is. They don't go far enough, and Paul knows he's weaker than his accusers are even accusing him of. And so are they. And so were the church in Corinth. And so are we. We're weaker than often we think we are. It's so easy to try and project strength without even realizing that's what you're doing or to try and keep it all together. And it's so helpful to be reminded, as we have been this last month, you're not God. You're weaker than you think you are. And that's incredibly good news. Here's why. 2 Corinthians, just two passages. Uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. If Paul's going to boast, he's picking the wrong stuff, right? He's picking all the wrong things. He's picking the things that make him look weak. He's picking the things that makes a lot of sense of what he says in chapter 1, where he says that he was driven to despair to the point that he contemplated his own life. Did struck down. It's a little bit of why. Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And yet, his limitations are limited. His weaknesses are held in attention. The tension is found in 2 Corinthians 12. Later on, he, he writes this. He's had an experience of God. It's an amazing experience of God, but then he gets afflicted. He, Paul's language is, he calls this his thorn in the flesh. And Paul describes about a thorn in the flesh that we don't know what it is exactly. Uh, but he talks about how this is hurting him, how this is, is holding him back or limiting him. And this is what God says to him. But God, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What a helpful phrase at the end of verse 10 to capture the wholeness of this paradox. When I am weak, then I am strong. This is Paul's testimony and his argument to the church in Corinth. I don't want you to miss this. Paul is a church pastor and the pastor's not okay. I don't know if you've been in a church where it's okay for the pastor to not be okay. But right here, Paul is the super apostle, church planting dude, and he's not doing well. He's struggling. He's wrestling. And if that can be Paul, if this can be in the word of God, given down throughout the ages so that every brother and sister can know what it looks like to be weak and wrestle with weakness and draw upon the strength of God. It is okay for you to be weak and for you to wrestle that weakness through with God so that you might rest in the power that he will supply. If this happened to Paul, it happens to all of us. And there is a reason why I'm preaching on this this morning. And there's a reason why I did not preach the whole of last month, the None Like Him series. I felt like that jar of clay. I felt that sense of weakness. I felt that sense of very great treasure, very great power, but contained within the jar of clay that is Tom. You know, the jar of clay that's very easily broken, the jar of clay that can so easily pick up a crack. Like, you know, if you drop it, you know what's going to happen to it, right? Incredible power, incredible treasure of the gospel in Jesus in a jar of clay. Foolish things to shame the wise. I've tried to figure out over the last few weeks why, like Paul has not been okay, I've also felt not okay. And the, the, the best phrase I have is I think I emotionally burnt myself out. And people have given, given me different phrases at different points to try and figure out what was going on. And some of you have been drawn into this journey and uh, a few people told me not to say anything uh, or not to talk about this, but we're, we're not that kind of church. We're the kind of church that does real life with each other and is really honest. And if Paul can boast in his weakness, I want to try and imitate Paul as much as I can. And my prayer would be that you would also join me in the journey to learn to imitate Paul. I think for me, it came about with a realization after an insane season of preparing for Lou to be born and then Lou being born and then thrust into full-time work in a school for a month and then jumped back into church when I should have just asked for leave, but I didn't. I felt guilty that I had worked in school for, two, for a whole month, and the guys had been so gracious and just giving me the time I needed that I felt like I needed to get back into work straight away, like earn back the time 
which is such a stupid thought, but I did it, that uh, then that week was the week where the, our church transition stuff hit into new gear, and then other things came into the table, uh, and then what, uh, snowball after snowball after snowball, and I ignored the warning signs in my body and in my heart. I knew something was up, and I had communicated to the guys for a few weeks, I, don't, I think I need a break, I think I need a rest, I think I'm burning myself out, and, uh, and they were so gracious in giving me whatever time I needed, but I didn't act, and I didn't take time to the point when a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I am taking leave. And I just felt a sense of emptiness, and felt a sense of, I just don't feel like I've got anything to give anymore. Uh, struggling to get out of bed in the mornings, uh, sleeping patterns change, diet patterns change, and uh, we decided to use my week of rest to reach out to a bunch of brothers who really love me and know me enough to ask the questions that I probably don't want them to ask, but need them to ask, so that I would understand what is happening, what's going on, and went to see a doctor, uh, went to see a psychologist, Christian psychologist, who was amazingly helpful, and I'm going to keep journeying with, just to understand, hey, this is what the Lord is doing in me. And one of the things the psychologist said to me, which I'll just share because it came out today, is, is when did you start minimizing the goodness of God? And I just felt like, man, I've like one of the things I've been going through, I just realized I'd stopped trusting that God was fully good, and she was amazing. She just said, hey, I think God is a good God. I think you have a really good Father in heaven. I think he doesn't have it in his plans to harm you, but actually for you to prosper, to give you a hope and a future. And we all need that. We all need people in our lives who are going to be able to do that. And... Uh, I've got to say, I'm also so grateful for uh, the support I've received from, from the elders. I'm so grateful for Nganiso, who has called me to check in, uh, who I asked, like, should I go and see someone? And he was like, I think that's a good idea, and just advice there. Grateful for that. Yeah, thank you, brother. So, I've probably been in a season and still in a bit of a season where I feel a little hollow, I feel a little insufficient, I feel like I'm carrying a little bit of inadequacies. And uh, what's interesting about that is that's actually the best possible way of understanding weakness in the Bible. See, there are different types of weaknesses in the Bible, if I can just rattle them off. There are some weaknesses, uh, the word weaknesses is quite an all-encompassing word. One of those is sin. Sometimes our weakness is our sin, the areas where we are lacking in something, and that something is righteousness. You know, Romans 5, verse 5 and 6, it was while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for us. That word weak means lacking, missing something. What were we missing? Righteousness. That's why we needed a righteous person to die on our behalf. Which Jesus has been tempted as well, but he knew no sin and was able to stand firm where you and I get struck by 
temptations. Sometimes they are sicknesses. The weaknesses are just bodily sicknesses. Sometimes it is weariness at every level, whether it's physical, emotional, psychological, just a weariness. Uh, for Paul, it seems like in 2 Corinthians, it's suffering. Weakness is suffering. Weakness is, is struggling through something. Yet the best word for weaknesses, the most all-encompassing word for weaknesses in the Greek is asthenia, asthenia, which directly translates as inadequacies. Weakness is where you're inadequate. I much prefer the word limited. I think limited is more helpful. Why? Not because the Bible is wrong, the Greek is wrong, the translate, English translation is wrong, but when we use the word in, society, in social meaning, when we use the word inadequacy, it implies not good enough. And that is not what the word in asthenia implies. I think the word limited is much more helpful. Just the ways in which you're not God. You know, like in the last month, all the things that we've heard that God is, well, all of those things you're not, you are limited, those are your weaknesses, right? That's the word weakness. And so that's what Paul is boasting in. He's boasting in these, his own limitations. And the word boast is also really interesting. The word boast, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. No, I'm not. I'm too scared. But the Greek word boast, it, it's not a boasting as kind of you and I do, like, you know, like in Dandor boasting that your team won 5-1 last night. Thank you very much. Okay, we're not, we're, not, we're not talking about those kinds of boasting, right? Like, hey, I think I look really good today, you know? Like, yes, my your shirt looks nice. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Calm down, right? That's not, what, that's, that's not the kind of boasting we're talking about here. The, the, the Greek word I will show you it later, but I'm not saying it. It means to express your deepest satisfactions and desires. That's what that word means. You're, you, to express your deepest, not in the, you know, the normal everyday kind of stuff, but when people boast in the things that they are most satisfied in and the things that they are most longing for. And so Paul... Paul's boast, Paul's satisfaction, Paul's desire was weakness. Above everything else, this was the cry of Paul's heart. This boasting in weakness, this deep satisfaction in his limitations, is the direct challenge towards his attackers in Corinth. And it is remarkably countercultural, even in our world today. No one is boasting in weakness today. Everyone is boasting in strength. Everyone is boasting in the things that make us look better. But believers in Christ follow Christ and not the world. And so when Christ boasts in weakness, and when Paul boasts in weakness, we've realized we found a better way. The way, truth and life. And so to boast in weakness is to display something about what you are believing. It is to display a safety and a certainty, but not in yourself, in someone else. It's, it's shouting out, I don't need to be strong when the whole world is trying to get stronger. I don't need to be strong. 
I don't have to join that exhausting, elusive chase for a strength that I am always going to be limited in. It's to point somewhere else as everyone else points here and we start pointing there. And as I've reflected on my and our weaknesses, I've found weakness to be four things and I'm going to go through them quite quickly. But these are a lot of very personal reflections for me just as I on the middle of a page, just wrote, when I am weak, then I am strong, and just started mind mapping and drawing, both from scripture and my own experiences. This idea of boasting in weakness, number one, that's because weakness is exposing. Weakness is exposing. What weakness does is it exposes our limitations. It exposes our emptiness. It exposes our inabilities to do things or make things happen, areas of lack or insufficiencies. In John 15 language, it would be, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's like, apart from God, I can't do anything. It's declaring I'm bankrupt before God. In God's account, I've got nothing. There's no righteousness in me. I'm empty. I can't persuade God that there's something in me that merits or deserves his attention, his affections, his gifts. I'm not impressive. Weakness exposes that you're not impressive. It exposes who you really are before the only one who's not limited. In a way, there's an exposing, a, a, a nakedness as we see all of our flaws and all the parts of ourselves in which we don't like or are uncomfortable with. Which is why weakness number two is exposing, but that's why weakness is revealing to us. It's not just exposing, I've got nothing, but it's you see that. It's revealed to you. And on Thursday, the band were uh, rehearsing here for, for Friday's event, and I kind of just went into the corner and I was... Uh, doing a little bit more just thinking. I was like, what is weakness? Is it like a reflection of something? Is it like a sign that points somewhere or to someone? And I landed for me on weakness as being a revelation. I wrote down, it is the humbling and sobering, sobering revelation of who I am in the context of who he is. It's the humbling, sobering revelation. You know what weakness is? It opens your eyes. It opens the eyes of your hearts much wider to realize this is really who you are before God. And this is really who you are as you exist in the the world today. You see, whereas our strength or our pride can blind us, weakness opens our eyes. Paul talks about this. Paul, uh, earlier on in 2 Corinthians 12, he's saying, I had this amazing uh, revelation of God. I was taken up to the third heavens. And uh, to understand that, uh, again, culturally, uh, in the times, the first heaven was the sky, the second heaven was like space, and the third heavens was like the spiritual realm. It was like the heavens. And Paul was like, I had this amazing experience of like the third heaven, right? He's talking in the third person, like it wasn't even me. Someone just took me out of me and I was with God himself, right? But, but then he says, to keep me from being conceited 
a thorn was given to me in the flesh. Because pride blinds. Strength, impressive moments. They can do us more harm than good. And Jesus knows that if he's going to keep using Paul, he needs Paul's eyes to be wide open to who he is and to where his power comes from, where his strength lies, not in himself. And so Paul has this revealing moment of weakness. But this is where it starts to turn and become good news, because weakness is exposing and it is revealing. They're the more uncomfortable parts of weakness. But number three, weakness is then releasing. You see, if you have this revelation of who you really are, you will find it implies, it means things in your life. Weakness is releasing because weakness means you no longer have to fake it. Weakness means embracing weakness, being okay with being weak because God is okay with you being weak because that's how he made you to be weak so that he could display his manifold strength in your life. Being okay with all of that means that you don't have to fake things, you don't have to pretend things, you don't have to put masks on. You can be exactly who you are in any moment about any situation and be fully seen, fully known, just as accepted and just as loved as you ever were whenever you were strong or impressive in your own eyes. Being weak is so releasing. You're going to start saying things to yourself like, oh, I don't have to have it all together. Oh, I don't have to be the one to fix the situation. You might even start saying some, some things like I've started saying. I don't need to be my own savior. This doesn't mean that I've failed. I don't just need to toughen up a little bit more. There isn't something wrong with me. I'm weak because he made me weak. I'm limited because I have a limitless God. That's why I think the word limited is slightly more helpful than inadequate in today's language. You're going to start throwing off all of these weights. And I tell you, you're just going to enter into the presence of God like, man... I didn't even know I was carrying these burdens. I had forgotten that his burden is incredibly light. So weakness releases you from all of these things. It releases you into sincerity. It releases you into being who you really are before the living God. And although he should run for the hills, he instead draws even closer to you. Remember Hebrews? He sympathizes with the weaknesses so you can draw near. And it ends, you can draw near into the throne room of grace confidently, right? Because it's a throne room of grace, not a throne room of, of performance. Which is why weakness is lastly inviting. Our weaknesses are actually God's invitations for us to be able to draw nearer to him and to know more of him and to become more like him and to be more given over to his purposes. You see, if you consider weakness to be an affliction, you will miss that it is an invitation. You'll miss 
that you are invited into a strength that is so much greater than anything of your own. You, you, you will miss that wherever you are limited, it is so he can demonstrate himself to be limitless. He can be demonstrated enough to be fully sufficient to all your needs. If you see weakness as an affliction, you'll miss that it's an invitation. It's an invitation into a strength that's not your own. Weakness is an invitation into dependency on God and dependency on eternal power and everlasting delight, the delight of your Father in you. That's what your weakness invites you into, dependency. Dependency and power. It's about trusting a more liberating strength because it's not a strength that you have to maintain or you have to keep up in yourself. You don't have to earn it. You don't build it up. You can never lose it. There's never going to be a moment when you can't run back to the power, the enabling power of Jesus Christ. Weakness, therefore, is an invitation to rest and live in the right place. It's an invitation to rest in the presence of God. It's an invitation to live in his power. Because when I am weak, then I'm strong. Somehow amazingly, you become immovable in God. Though you know you are so shaken by life's events, or so shaken by your own brokenness, somehow, even though you are weak, his grace has covered you so you become strong. And so you become immovable in God. You become more than a conqueror. Because all that you are is in the one who has already conquered. The one who has gone before you and taken the biggest things off your plate. The one who came and sacrificed himself because he knew that the sacrifice would be too great for you. It would take your life. So he gave his. A reminder of the weakness of the Savior that releases you from your weakness being your damnation and starts being your invitation into the presence of the living God where you can be so safe and so secure, so assured the blood of the Lamb that it sets you free from all of the weights and the burdens that you would carry if you try to do this thing yourself. And so friends, are you willing to embrace the invitation to your weakness? Are you willing to say, Lord, I am not running from my limitations anymore. My pains are actually becoming my gifts because they make me get on my knees before you again. They make me rest in your strength. I want us to end by going back to our sympathizing high priest. I want us to rest in the shelter of his wings a little bit. I want us to trust that he is sufficient for all we will need. And I want to trust that your weakness 
is your gateway to his power, your gateway to all that you need in this life. We'll talk more about this next week. Don't make the mistake of thinking, I don't need strength or I don't need power. You do, just not your own. You won't get there until you embrace the invitation of weakness. As you hold these things, you'll find that you're holding sacrifice. You're holding loss. You're holding weakness in your hands right now. You're holding a weakness that you were spared from. There was a free gift given to you. When you and I take the take the juice and we take the cracker, we remind ourselves that we were saved through weakness. We were saved from our weakness, through his weakness. As he intentionally emptied himself of all that was God and humbled himself even to death on a cross so that by his weakness, he would redeem our weakness. No longer damning, thank you, sir. But now inviting. And let me read Hebrews as we take this. We do not have a high priest unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. Draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. I'm in a time of need. I know many others are. Let's receive our mercy and find our grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your body, broken so that I would not be crushed. Let's take it together. Thank you for your blood. that redeems, that redeems weakness, so it becomes my very great strength in you. Thank you for your blood, Lamb of God. Let's take it together. Just take a moment to rest in him as we end.
your soul. His grace is sufficient. Thank you that you have redeemed our weaknesses. Thank you that we don't have to pretend. And I ask for your help that we would boast. Help us boast in our weaknesses. Help us enjoy that we are jars of clay so that surpassing power would belong to you. Remind us that your power is perfect in our weakness so that we can boast all the more gladly in our weakness. Help us to know that when I am weak, I am strong. Amen. Just before we end, my uh, is going to come and share something with us, the mic servant. Um, just, you know, of the sermon that Thomas shared, you know, and um, I think it's very respectable. I've always said that, you know, to find a leader that actually shares and doesn't hide from you where he or she is. You know, we've, we've grown up in churches where you feel like the leaders have it all figured out, you know, everything is 100%, but... They are also going through life just as we are going through life. They are also going through Mondays, you're going through Monday. They're going through economic struggles as we're going through economic struggles, but they're still here. They're still praying for us. They're still leading us, you know. So I know we've been, we are looking internally at our own weaknesses and reflecting on Christ. But I want us in that not to move from our weaknesses, but in the midst of our weaknesses, I want to share the scripture and then encourage us also to do something after that. It's the book of First Timothy chapter 2, and Paul says, first of all, then I urge that all supplications, supplications is an earnest request, that's what it means. It says all earnest requests, all prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people. He doesn't say a preacher. He doesn't say for the weak. He doesn't say for the sick. He doesn't say for the rich. He says for all people. And he continues and says for kings and all who are in high positions that may lead a high, a peaceful and quiet life, godly, dignified in every way. He says that this is good. This praying for others, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. You know, Tom prays for us so much. Uh, he speaks and he encourages us so much. But who is praying for him? We must think about that. You know, who is praying for him? Who is encouraging him? And the Bible now breaks down all those walls of saying, okay, there's a leader, there's us who are following. It says, all people make mention of those people in prayer. So I want us to take this moment, sorry, Tom. 
But yes, you're I've doing got the it mic. already. <laughs> <laughs> I want us to take this moment and just rally around Tom and pray for him. I mean, he's shared and displayed his weakness. We've shared and displayed our weaknesses to our leaders also. But now he has opened up his heart. Let's pray for him. Uh, the one thing that Tom has never left me at is when I've shared something with him, he's like, let's pray, dude. You know? So, dude, let's pray. <laughs> um, so I just want us to ask, I want to ask us to just stretch our hands from where we're at. And those that can, the leaders can just ask draw close, you know, just lay your hands on him, let's, 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 let's encourage him, let's pray for him, uh, that, yes, yes, please, uh, 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 Mrs. Moffat, we are not remarrying you, <laughs> um, please come close with baby Lou, yes. Uh, so I'll just hand over the mic to you to lead us in this prayer and we will all pray from where we're at. Let us just all pray together out loud and then um, I will uh, wrap it up for us. Lord, we thank you that your word is alive, active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord God, even this, today as we pray for the Moffat family, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are God who, who listens. You are God who is strong in our weaknesses. Thank you, Lord God, for <clears throat> wonderful message by Tom, Lord God. Urging us, encouraging us, yet at the same time, showing his vulnerability as well, that you know what? I need all strength from the Lord. Just like everyone else, I also need a savior. Lord God, we pray for him. We pray for Knox. We pray for Lou. Holy Spirit, may you bless them. Holy Spirit, may you shower your presence upon them as a family. Holy Spirit, may you encourage them, Lord God. Pray, Holy Spirit, may you fill their cup where they feel weak, Lord God. I pray that your strength may magnify. Pray, Lord God, that in their weakness they may look unto you, one who is able 
to arm us with strength. One who is able to give us more strength than we can ever imagine. Holy Spirit, we pray for them. Lord God, we agree with them in prayer. We rally around them. We say, Lord God, may you fortify them. Lord God, to run the race before them. Lord God, we thank you for them. Thank you for living their lives and laying down their lives for the gospel and for being such wonderful leaders, Lord God, willing to be used by you. Bless them, Lord God. We pray blessings upon them as a family. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. There's a word that keeps springing in my head, and I don't understand why. And I'm a bearer. You know what that is? An armor bearer is someone that carries your weapon for you. Because at the end of the day, planting a church is you entering into war in the spiritual realm. And I'm speaking to us as well to say I'm a bearer is not only a person that carries the weapon but a person that's a confidant allow us Knox Tom Church You're not alone. What God has begun and the work that you've started here is not in vain. He is building his church through you, through us. Trust him as you journey with us. We were in a worship meeting and it was Francis, um, Francine's sorry, cry. Guys, guys, a church is built on relationships. Tom being vulnerable today is not hearsay. It's not a yeah, no good word, no. It's time. Let's build the church of God. Man, thank you so much, guys. Um, let's rally behind you more. Uh, more faith. Let's give them a hug. Let's love on them. And um, yeah, this is the end of our service today. Uh, please don't rush. We have tea and coffee and some biscuits. Um, yeah, let's allow the spirit of hanging out, as Z will say, uh, to, to, to take place. God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday or next week, Sunday.